You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday, everybody. How you guys doing? Good? Good? There's more coffee if you need to wake up. Right back there. And if you can tell, uh, the cold brew is pretty strong. If you can tell. So um, go back there. That's good, though, um, for you coffee lovers. We do have cream. But um, my name is Ryan by birth, but everyone for the last 20 or so years of my life has nicknamed me Riz. And so um, uh, you can call me Riz. Pastor here at Reality Honolulu. Um, my wife, Zoe, was leading worship this morning. And um, our church is about four years or so old, and we were a plant out of the reality family of churches that are across um, the mainland and Europe, and um, we are just blessed and honored to be a part of what God is doing here in Hawaii and uh, be a part of what God is doing um, in, in seeing his kingdom come and his will be done, and part of that is Sunday morning, and so we're so uh, glad that you're here with us in person or online to gather around the person of Jesus and study God's word and allow God to speak to us. Um, and so what I want to do is just give us a little bit of a recap where we have been and where we're going, read our text this morning, and then uh, pray and jump into our time. And so if you've been with us for, uh, well, if you're, if you're brand new and this is your first Sunday, then this will be helpful to know where we have been. But if you've been with us, you know that for Seven, eight months now, we have been camped out in what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount of Beatitudes in northern Israel overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And we've been digging into his words. We've been taking it real slow, right? We're not even done, and it's been a uh, better part of a year here. Uh, but we want to, our desire is to allow the words of Christ to penetrate our hearts, to truly know what Jesus told his followers to be like, what it meant to be a Christian, how, how, how interactions with others should be, how we should give, how we should spend our time, how we should pray, how we should reconcile our personal relationships. I mean, you name it. We've, we've looked at dozens of things that Jesus have said over the last few months, and last week, um, we had our own David Elliott preach on false prophets, um, what that was, how, what Jesus said we should be looking out for, how we as believers can be equipped to watch out for false teachers and false prophets. Um, and we're getting towards the end here of the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus has done is he is kind of transitioning into some decisions, some things that in light of what he just spoke on, do we choose him? Do we choose him to the narrow gate or do we stay on the wide road of the world? Do we build our house, which we're going to see next week, on a firm foundation or a foundation that's built of sand? Today, uh, we have a very sobering reminder, and I would say a pretty heavy statement, of Jesus specifically concerning what it means to know him and to follow him and how that has grave effects on our eternity with him. Um, I'm going to read it and then you'll get a grip of what I'm talking about. But Matthew 7 verses 21 through 23 is this little section of text that we're going to allow God to speak to us. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV translation. 
Obviously, Bible app is totally cool. Just don't text, but you can like open up your phone, use the Bible app. You can open up your own Bible, or if you want to follow along in a paper Bible and you don't have the uh, NIV translation, there's Bibles on the table. But Matthew 7, 21 through 23, the words of Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, the, for your words that we have in our laps this morning. God, this is not just some ancient manuscript or book from a good teacher. We just, we receive these as the words of God that are profitable for us, for teaching and correcting and rebuking us and training us in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. God, we want to receive them, each of us in our own hearts this morning, as your very word. And so, God, we do. We put ourselves under your authority and ask that you would speak to us. And, God, I just admit that I, I in and of myself, am completely inadequate to teach this. But, Holy Spirit, would you use me to be your mouthpiece to communicate these truths this morning? Pray you'd anoint our time. Have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so in our text this morning, why this may be startling or harsh is because Jesus here, he's referring to himself as the judge. And he says, on that day, referring to what could be called the judgment day, when we see him face to face, that will be the day or the time in which comes to determine Right? If we did choose to believe in Christ or not, and whether we trusted in him for salvation, for our sins to be forgiven or not. And it says there that not all that even call upon my name will enter into eternity with him. Right? And, and it says there that even if they claim, Lord, Lord, Remember all the miracles I did in your name? Remember the demons I cast out? Remember all the stuff that I did for you in your name? Jesus said, not even all of them will enter in. And Christ reminds some that he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Right? This is like as real as it gets. This is as heavy as it gets. And, and rightfully so, it's Jesus, what are you saying here? Is it, just, is it not enough to think of you as Lord and to do things in your name? What are you talking about? What more are you saying is required? And that's why I want to you know, pause and think about this this morning. How, how is this possible? Right? Aren't these believers Jesus is speaking about? Right? Those that call that Jesus Lord and do things in his name? 
But there's a disconnect. It's not just about superficially saying Jesus is Lord and doing some things in his name, but it ultimately, and I hope that you know the heart of God in this, and over the course of the Sermon on the Mount, you've seen that God cares about our hearts. Has the truth of Jesus being our Lord penetrated our hearts, and is there genuine, authentic transformation that has come? Right, in correlation to last week, when we talked about false teachers and prophets, today Jesus digs in further into any person who claims to follow him. And what he's saying here is that it isn't just enough to just say Jesus is Lord. It's not just enough to just say it, but there's more to it. And again, so much of the Sermon on the Mount's driving points has been authenticity, genuineness, heart change, intention. I mean, you name it. Jesus goes through how we should pray, how we should fast, how we should give. And he confronts, it's not just about how much we give or how often, but it matters of why we're giving. Right? It doesn't matter just how much we pray or how often we pray. Jesus says, why do we pray? Right? So much of it is about the intention of the heart. And that, I believe, is what Jesus is trying to get at. As a follower of Jesus, or as someone that claims to follow Jesus, it is more than just saying that we follow Jesus. It's more than actually just doing religious deeds. It actually comes down to, has the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is penetrated our hearts and changed us and transformed us? And then is there a change, a genuine, authentic change of character that has happened? Because if there isn't, in a really gnarly way, I don't know how to put it in any other descriptive words, Jesus says, you could say that you know me. You can even do things in my name. But if we're not connected and, and, we're not, and you're not with me and you're not biting in me and we don't have a relationship, depart from me. I don't know you. Right? Jesus, in the most final and sobering way, says it isn't enough just to claim me. But a life that truly follows him will be met with not only words, but deeds. You see in our text today, he says, I'll know that you, are, that you truly follow me, that you truly believe in me, if you obey the will of my Father. If you obey the will of my Father. If you follow his commandments. If you obey him. If you submit yourself to him. If he is truly Lord. Right, again, this is echoing the words of Jesus that he would speak in John 14 in the ESV, which says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you love me, you'll tell me you love me. Yes, but if you love me, I'll tell you, you'll, you truly love me if you actually obey my word, obey my commandments. You live into 
my righteous standard, so to speak. Now, don't get me wrong. Hear this. Belief and confession, right? Believing and confessing Jesus is Lord. That is essential. That is bare minimum. It has to start there. There has to be belief. But, and Paul tells us this in, in, in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Uh, this is the NLT translation. It says, if you openly declare, right, that's confession, that Jesus is Lord, and also believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. But again, Jesus is making a correlation and distinction here in our text today. And, you know, belief and confession is not the only thing that saves us or means that we truly know and follow Jesus. Belief and confession needs to be from an inner, like, core of our being. That idea of believing in your heart. Right? Not just claiming, I'm a Christian. But it's believing who Jesus is and what he did for you and living into that. Right? Belief and confession needs to be from this inner place. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which leads to heart transformation, which leads to a life transformation. Right? Jesus is digging down under the superficialness of people saying, I know Jesus. I believe I'm a Christian. But again, as we heard last week, a heart that has been truly saved bears fruit of this. Bears fruit of this. Or in other words, there is genuine Christ-like change in character that is accompanied by someone that truly, know, that truly knows and is known by Jesus. There will be fruit of that belief. Or there will be results in our life out of that belief. With our actions, with our deeds. It's what gives validity to our faith. The fruit, the result of the belief is actually what gives validity that it's real. We read this in a, in a section I want to read to you this morning. I want us to look at the words of James in James chapter 2. Verses 14 through 24. And this is what James does. He, conf he, he connects our faith and our deeds and the fruit of our faith. He says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Let's pause there just for a second. That is literally a rhetorical question to what Jesus answers in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said no. But here's what James says. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 
You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Even the demons believe that Jesus is Lord. Verse 20. He's pretty strong here. He says, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac to the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was, a credit, it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. See that? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, so now don't mishear me or jump to the conclusion that it's out of by our own works that save us. That's not what we're saying here. Paul, to the letter in the Ephesians, assures us that it's not just like, okay, we better do a bunch of good deeds now in order for Jesus to say, I'm good. No, stop. This is what Paul also says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one may boast. We are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, but again, holding all this together, going back to our text today, what Jesus from moving so much. But maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Anyway. Sorry. Uh, <clears throat> getting back into it. Now you're going to wash my hands. I know. Sorry. So getting back to our text, holding all of this together. What Jesus is confronting was a superficial claim to know him and even do things in his name. Let me switch it out. I'm going back, guys. I'm going back. Thank you. To, oh, yes. Thank you all for bearing with us. <clears throat> okay, third time's a charm. 
Going back to our text today, what Jesus is confronting is a superficial claim to know him and even do things in his name, but really never known him as Lord and Savior. Right? We can claim him, we can even do things in his name in our text today, it says, but unless we have a relationship, are connected to him, we know him and he knows us, there's truly not a genuine salvation there. And maybe to put it in like a real life example, it, it would be like someone, and I don't know if this has happened to you, it's happened to me, and it, it's kind of awkward, where someone in your life introduces themselves as like your really good friend. Oh, I'm Riz's really good friend. And I'm like, dude, I don't even know you. Like I see you once a year, and I know you're trying to like make this connection, but like I honestly don't know you. My response would be, no, you're not. In, in, in a very similar way, this is what Jesus is saying. Like these people in this story at, at the judgment day right here are like, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. I went to church three out of four Sundays, remember? And he's like, I never knew you. You did all this stuff, but you never, I never knew you. You never knew me. We never had this relationship. You, it was all superficial. That in a very, obviously, way more than my example is what Jesus is getting at here. And what I, I want to do is I want us to be reminded that Jesus has only ever cared about having like a genuine, authentic, like deep relationship with all of us. That results, like that faith results in a spirit-filled, spirit-changed life. And so this is like Jesus is trying to dig under the surface. And in our world today, this can be really helpful because sometimes we can mix, you know, religious deeds with we're good. Like we checked off the boxes, we did the right things, we mostly follow but do we really know Jesus, and does he really know us? Do we really have that relationship with him? Or is it super superficial, and, and you know, we claim to be Christians on Sundays, but then the rest of our week, it wouldn't look like that. Again, remember, he's like, I know you, because you obey the will of my Father, you live into what you were designed to live into. Okay, so what does knowing Jesus and him to know us, what does that mean? Because I, what I, want, I don't want to do is like, have you all freaked out and not feel like you have an answer to like, how do I not have Jesus tell me this? Well, I, I think we can be rest assured and we need not worry is, again, it comes down to self-reflection and examination to reflect on what our faith in Jesus is. And this is not a corporate thing right now. This would be like an individual thing. Like you and Jesus. Take every player out of your life. Every relationship, every, every situation, just you and Jesus. Is it just, if you do claim that you're a Christian, if you do, you know, is it just words we say and religious actions we partake in, these are questions for all of us, or, like, is that it? Or have we truly met with 
pursued relationship with, know Jesus? Do we submit ourselves under his life and his life-changing and life-shaping truths? Have we surrendered? Have we gone, my life's no longer my own. It's hidden with Christ's. I don't live by my own accord. I live under my Lord Jesus. Again, posturing our hearts that way compared to just like, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to this church that meets at the middle school on Sunday mornings. If that's the extent, that's where the disconnect's going to come, right? Because again, words alone do not save. But a transformed heart leading to a transformed life, that does. Because that's genuine. It's authentic. That's real. Uh, I want to read again some more of the words of Jesus, this time from John chapter 15, that may lend uh, to some insight about these things. John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus speaking. He's using some illustrations here. We'll try to unpack, but he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. Or some translations, abide in me, and I remain, and I will remain in you, or I will abide in you. Very, very relational. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. uh, Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit, the result of a changed life literally is, is what determines if we're disciples or not. But do you see how many times there's this language of Jesus to us saying, abide in me, remain in me, commune with me, speak with me. Think about all these these type of words. That is what it means to truly know Jesus, to know him and for him to know us. Um, I believe this really encompasses well and ties together what Jesus is saying in the Sermon of the Mount. And it's, it's this idea of abiding that produces real fruit and real character and real heart change that comes from a belief. It comes first from a confession, but then there's deep-rooted change as we put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus in our own lives. And again, we need, we need not fret or need not worry if this is us. And what I'm saying here isn't perfection. Hear me, hear me, hear me straight. We're all works in progress. We're all going to still struggle and mess up and fail and sin. And we're going to mess up. We're works in progress. What this is not saying is you got to do everything right or else. Got to obey every commandment or else. That's not what it's saying. 
But is this the posture of our heart? Are we rooted in Christ? Are we connected to him? Do we know him? And does our life tell of that? Does our deeds outside of our words tell that he's our Lord? That's what it's getting at this morning. Right? Where we need to be, I think, strongly but lovingly challenged, convicted by the the word of God this morning is, is our relationship with Jesus just a show? Is it just an act? Is it just on the surface? Is it just religious actions? Or is there rootedness in it? Again, a good telltale would be, is there fruit? Does your, is, your, is your life bearing the fruit of God's work in your heart? An awesome way would be to spend some time with people that you knew prior to knowing Jesus, even years ago, high school friends or whatever it may be. Spend some time with them. If they start saying, dude, what happened to you? Like good stuff. Like why don't you do, that's, there's, there's good, that's good signs. Or if someone close to you or if you are really honest with yourself, is your life bearing the fruit of Jesus' work in your heart? Are you continuing to be shaped and transformed into the image of God? Again, I want to leave us with this. What Jesus has and will always want is our heart and our redemption and our renewal. And the sign that we truly know him is that our entire life begins to change and we begin to pursue him and know him in the way the word of God has talked about this morning. So church, I want to, as we enter into a second set of musical worship, I want us to respond to how God responded or how how he spoke to us. And again, for each of us, that's going to be different. I know for me, I'm challenged to just present myself again to the Lord and be like, Lord, I want my whole life to be yours. Like, I, I... I want you to have it all. I want my life to be lived for you. I want to truly live out what I believe. I want to encourage you to do the same. We have uh, worship carpets up here. We encourage you to come down and worship in a posture of surrender. If you want to do that, kneel, stay in your seats, raise your hands, go in the back. There's freedom in this place to worship the Lord. We encourage you to do so as you see fit. We're going to have the prayer team up here that would love to pray for you. If you have anything going on, take these requests to God on your behalf. We also have communion to the right or to the left. As we take a, a cup of juice and as we take a cup of bread and as we eat the bread and eat the juice, it reminds us of what Christ did for us upon the cross, his sacrifice made on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to pray. We're going to enter in time of worship. God, we thank you again for your word. And as sobering uh, as of a reminder this is, we know that your intention is out of love, that you desire that all of us would come to know you. 
that all would be saved. But God, you want our hearts. You care about the depth of our being. You desire all of us. And so, God, we we want that. We want to surrender to you this morning. We want to give up our own control. We just say, God, have your way. God, when we see you face to face, we pray that this is not what you would see, but you would rather say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. God, we pray that we would respond in how you've spoken to us. Each of us, I'm sure, are in a different spot. Pray that we wouldn't worry about what other people think, to, think of us or if we want to go kneel down because what will people think. Or I just pray you to remove all of our stuff that we put on the service and that we would freely worship you. We'd freely praise you. We'd freely get prayer. We'd freely get communion. We just pray that you would make this place safe and full of your spirit and full of your presence right now. God, we love you. We want to remember the cross in these few songs. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for paying the price on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. We love you, God. I pray you'd have this way. Have your way with this time.